Welcome to the Football Podcast with me, Paul O'Neill, and me, Paul Larkin, with fun, frolics, and football. Right, Paul? Right, Paul. Let me tell you a little something, man. A lot of people on daytime radio. 
Yes indeed, the hype is what you don't believe and we are here, we're doing a live show, that's why you'll hear background noise, that's why you'll hear clinkings of glasses and cutlery and basically it's all the fault of my co-host and uh, bum extraordinaire, Mr Paul O'Neill. Um, that's right, to be fair, I, I picked probably the worst seat in the house, <coughs> so I apologise. we get on with it, and, um, like we always do. And uh, we start off obviously with the semi-finals. Um, oh Chris, I almost forgot the score there. Hearts two, Hibs one. Obviously, I watched the game in the telly. You were at the game. Um, my take on it was that it wasn't really what I expected to see, in the sense of it kind of started like I expected it to see. Hearts seemed to be in control, scored a couple of goals and all the rest of it. But I think. Hibs pulling one back quite quickly after that sort of rocked Hertz a wee bit and probably mm. the supporters as well was like this is no part of the script mm. and um, to be fair <coughs> I thought Hibs fought really hard I thought they, um, they they probably picked the right guy up front and James Scott as opposed to Melkerson mm. um, because he's obviously young and raw and all the rest of it but ultimately they just didn't have the quality to, to go against Hertz again and kind of carve them up another time at least and certainly um, obviously they'll point at the save for Gordon which was incredible um, but I didn't think Hertz supporters Paul and you obviously you are one you can come in after I say this expected to be so much on the edge of the seat right up to the last kick of the ball no I don't know at all especially when we scored the second I think we started really well had a decent control of the game um, Sims goal settles your nerves at absolutely yep. rocket as well it's a, it's a beauty and interestingly and I pointed this to the game that comes for an offside that's not offside Aye. Hibs then messed the free kick up Hertz got the press in there and suddenly they goal up that's the thing he was in, he was in and I, at the game I was raging because I thought he was through and then could have slipped mm. voice in but obviously it quickly turned out but Hibs, Hibs never like, they've got to do better with that free kick it turns over so yeah. easily yeah I know and then Mackay's just slid him through and it's a, it's a rocket right. and the second one's only what four minutes three minutes after four minutes yeah. and it's an absolute beauty for Kingsley there's no really much well can... I mean what I liked about it was that everybody in the stadium everybody watching would be thinking he's going to go up and smack this mm-hmm. right because he's done it and done it to great effect this season so there's obviously been a thought process within there and it completely flummoxed Hibbs defence and goalkeeper and to be able to start dispatch I beg your pardon what's a moving ball that's a skill in itself and it was, it was well executed what, what I think as well is bizarre like, somebody said to me after the game and I, I thought they were talking nonsense because they, um, Kingsley only scored one career goal before they came to Hearts and also he's turned into this like, set piece extraordinaire so I don't know what game for but um, I think what was clever about it as well is like it was quite far out, but that buys you that five or six yards that we yeah. Also, also leaves the Hibs defenders thinking. So what's he doing? What are they doing here? Mm-hmm. And you're right. I think that if that had went five minutes at two 0 I think we would have completely controlled that game. Because like, I, I think the heart just would have fell out Hibs at that point. Aye. But um, the goal comes really quickly, and it's terrible defending from our point of view. I mean, it's a good finish for Cadden, um, but Sibbuck's just going to get rid of it. I don't know why he's belly dallying. I mean, <clears throat> I would I would um, give Lewis Stevenson some credit because he doesn't give it up. He does use his experience, yeah. um, whereas Sibic is, you know, I like him. He's got a goalie potential, Sibic and all that, but he's still young. Mm. He's still pretty inexperienced. Just, I just think after a goal, though, you just Aye. get rid of it. You just can't let it calm down. You don't let them get give them a sniff. Aye. I mean, an experienced player would definitely um, just knock that out of the park, Aye. you know, and take the corner. It's um, it's something that, and again, I've talked about this before, and it comes from something that I was to name drop, although I don't know, he's a big name, Chris Commons. Uh, the one time I met Chris Commons at <coughs> Celtic Park about seven or eight years ago, he was getting a little stick for the fans at the time. And um, I said to him, did it bother him? And he said, as, lo- and as long as fans 
keep clapping every time the team gets a corner, I'll not be bothered about what they say. <laughs> and it's something that I, I, I never ever understood why fans clap when team, their team gets a corner. No. It's what the opposition want to happen. I think as well as, as for that instance, if Sibbett knocks it, you're, you're quite happy that they've turned it, you've turned it away behind you. Ah, just exactly. Then you get to regroup and you're, you know, you've set up all week and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But, um, um, the, but the goal was huge and it goes into half time and it's a different game if, it, if it's Boyce misses a great chance as well right for half time I think nine times out of ten he probably tucks that away and he just kind of lets it bobble a wee bit mm. and it goes past the post that's a huge chance because if that goes I in mean, I think it's like, it just kills our spirit it seems to me we've talked about a lot of boys missing chances early in the game right, I, think, I think Saturday's game was probably Boyce's worst performance for us all round because there was one at nil nil, he was cleaned through, yeah. and he could have shot, or he had Sims for a tap in the middle, and mm-hmm. he would caught in two minds and shanked the ball to play. Yeah. And, and for that moment, he never really kind of recovered. Yeah, no. But um, aye, he does. He, he's got a bit of a habit of missing sort of quite big chances. But the, the good thing about him is he normally takes the next one that comes along. He just never really got the chance again after that. Yeah. In second half. Hearts are kind of stuck in no man's land, they stick or twist because do you really go for it when you could maybe just try and strangle the game? Um, and Hibs had their tails up because they had nothing to lose. Mm. Uh, I do think Hibs were like, Molyneux pretty much admitted after the game that he sent them out to play right on the edge. There's a couple of wild tackles going on, and we had to rehost a couple of players through injury, and it did affect us in terms of having to reshuffle the pack and whatnot. But Hibs, Hibs like, from their point of view, Given the, the derby the week before, they were probably delighted with the effort because it's something that was missing completely the week before. Well, I mean, what I'll pick you up on there is it's amazing how... I mean, I didn't think the first one, looking for Newell, I don't think he even touched him. I think he's caught his ankle in the back. But... Nah, no for me. Um, I thought it was shocking, this isn't, to be honest. And, and then even with the second one, you know, it's stupidity for him on the basis of why on earth would you put yourself in a tackle like that at that place on the pitch at that time in the game, you know? And that's what these things where it's like, well, everybody knows he's already been booked, mm-hmm. pressure goes on the referee and so on and so forth. And, you know, despite the fact I've still pressed after it, I'd, I'd literally would have strangled him if I was the manager. I have got, I think, of course, like, we can argue that the first one's a yellow or no, but it's given, and he's an experienced, one of the most experienced players. And at that point, it's 11 v 11, and Hibs have got hearts on the back, mm. the back foot a bit, and it's a completely stupid thing <coughs> to do. It's, it's mental, because I think the second one's a definite one, and I think, uh, I wonder, it's actually interesting if the referee's maybe been watching for him, because the last couple of doubles, he's got maybe four or five before getting a book in. And like the, the fans have been moaning about it, the, the mm. Hearts fans have been moaning about it. So I wonder if he was maybe kind of watching that. And, well, that in mind. I mean, it's something that we know referees shouldn't do, but we also know referees absolutely do. Uh, um, what to talk about before we come out to the other big issue, come out of the game, huge section of the um, Hibs end empty. And um, literally within. Literally, you know. There was only 37,000 at the game. I know. Um, there was obviously spaces in the hair scene, but nothing to the extent of that. I didn't understand it. I really didn't understand it, why Hibs fans weren't they? Because, as I said, it's not like, all right, they've not had the best season, but it's certainly not been the worst by any stretch of imagination. It's a cup semi-final against their local rivals. You know, why not just turn out? I because, can I just, you know, like, if they'd won that game, they would have turned out for the final. Well, I, think, I was just going to say, like, I think the ticket arrangements for the final came today and we've, we've been given 50%. But, for instance, if Hibs has got there, could they really have argued for 50% if they didn't turn up in the semi? It's well, I mean, we've, we had this for the League Cup, um, which they argued and argued and argued for it, and in the, in the end only sold 17,000. Mm-hmm. And that was at the absolute limit, to the point, and then, of course, that then means that tickets get released late and so on and so forth. I just didn't get it. I just do not get it. I, I spoke to a few Hibs fans who were like, before the game, I'm not, I'm not gone. I'm expecting to get pumped and all that. I don't understand it. Because if, if you, I get you're maybe not looking forward to it and Hearts are having a better season and just beating the week before, so I, I get you're maybe dreading the game to, to a degree. Mm. But if you win that game, that's what being a football fan's about. Underdogs and being your rivals and getting to a final. Uh, I, d- I don't understand, especially I mean, to the degree it was like 5,000, 6,000 empty seats. That's... I, like, the thing is, as well, is seeing that circumstance, for example, like say you're a hipster, I know that's a huge stretch for you, Paul, <laughs> that you've been beat, you've been well beat um, in, in the sort of 
uh, previous week. You've had all the golden for the Hertz fans. You're getting told you're going to get pumped this Saturday and so on and so on and so on. Would that ever make you more resilient? To be like, I'm going to fucking turn up there in defiance. I think so, yeah. Like a bit of a siege mentality, like yeah. let's go and prove them wrong. Because yeah. at the end, I think that's what like, at the end of the game happened a bit though. Because like, Hibs fans reacted to his performance and they gave, got around the applause. And half of me was thinking, is it around the applause for because we're good? Or is it around the applause because it's a bit relieved that they never go beat? never go beat, aye. I mean, or got hammered, sorry, because like, they might start it. Aye, I mean, I, I mean, you know, obviously we're no um, privy watching Hibs 90 minutes every week. You seen them last week <coughs> um, before the semi, and also I seen them against St Johnston. They're absolutely dreadful. And I f- suppose if that level of performance is what they're producing week in week out, then I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if a lot of people went, "I'm not going to watch that." I know it's well, absolutely the, dreadful. The thing as well as you said, like if it would uh, be nervy from a heart's point of view, as it was. But I think when you, when you look at the game back, I think that's just because you're at the game and you get that sort of like shit any bother. Aye. When well, you look at that actual chances like, after the Gordon save, I don't think they actually created anything. Aye, because it's it's not about it's like anything fear it's fear of the unknown you know it's like um, one loose ball aye, one you know ball. I, when there's a goal in it it doesn't matter how well, well you're playing everybody's got a chance and some teams actually prepare their whole setup for that scenario mm-hmm. but obviously um, a couple of days later the fallout for the game is that Sean Maloney's been sacked along with all his backroom staff I mean were you shocked by that? Um, Yes, I know. Like I know, I know some hippies that kind of like just thought it, was, it wasn't working. So it's, it's yeah. a good time to act because if he gets the summer and then he gets a rebuild and then he's still not working, mm. you've then wasted a whole summer and somebody yeah. else has got to get rid of the players. But at the same point, he's been only in what four months. Yep. And they were clearly weren't in a good place in the first place, which is why he got the job. And they're all smart and boiled mm. and never really got the chance to replace him. Well, my understanding, I mean, have seen to get sweat out beginning of March almost mm. and for what I can understand is that the uptake thus far was pretty dreadful mm-hmm. now whether that can be blamed on Sean Maloney is a different matter I don't know I mean you've got a cost of living crisis out there you know things are spiralling through the roof a lot of people might be thinking oh hold up a minute here you know do I want to commit myself to this and I don't know what's happening with my job or whatever it might be as you say he was only in there four months it's a ludicrous little time but we are in an age where owners listen to fans and, and social media and all that kind of thing very 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 few owners and people in charge of clubs are that single minded now to go no no he's our man and we're backing him um, I do think he has been dealt a short straw in the sense of you know they did lose their best player they knew they were losing their best player and they didn't seem to have done a thing about that mm-hmm. um, and also for me if you're going to sack a whole backroom staff and the manager, you better have somebody lined up pretty quickly. Aye. Because it could really fall apart. I'm not actually sure they do either, which is why it makes mm. it like a knee-jerk uh, reaction, because they gave it to Gray till the end of the season. It's a, it's a tough one, because, like, it was, f- from my point of view, there were, in interviews and that, it looked a wee bit awkward and stunted, which didn't look like Maloney you've ever seen before. You know what I mean? Like, he always looked quite a confident guy, whatever. Maybe it's different, you're having to defend your own mm. choices and decisions, but... I'm a wee bit surprised at the time of it, purely because it's so close to the end of the season. You could even give them another five games, they're unlikely to go down. I mean, they could be sucked into it if they had bad luck. Somebody said that to me, but, you know, uh, but there are only so many points ahead of the season. Aye, but everybody's playing each other, so everybody's got to cut each other's throat. I mean, I've met Maloney a few times. I've been in his company for long periods, and I'm talking maybe 15 years ago now. And he was always a pretty deep guy um, with a kind of dry sense of humour. You know, whether he was a leader of men is a different scenario, um, but a very personable, um, affable guy. And, um, you know, could have a bit of stick and have a bit of banter and all the rest of it. But I've always said, right, if I went on sports scene on Sunday night to review the coming weekend's games, I could make myself sound like the most knowledgeable football guy on the planet. Mm. That does not mean I can coach a football team. No, no. Or that I can lead men into battle or whatever like that. And unfortunately, a lot of guys... A lot, Maloney's status went up when he went on sports scene and started talking about all these things. Now, it's like... To me, that's like basically saying, you know, if I'm partnering Tiger Woods on a golf course and 
you know, I'm saying, well, we could definitely do this hole in three because I've got Tiger Woods hitting the first shot. You know, that's fine. And he can do the same with Belgium. Unfortunately, when it's Chris Cannon, you can't talk on that level of terms. So, I remember Davy Farrell saying, he used to play for Hibs, when he was at Oxford, Matt Lawrenson took over. And um, for the first month, all Lawrenson said was, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, at Liverpool we did this, and at Liverpool we did that, and at Liverpool we could do it. And eventually, Farrell says, well, you're not at fucking Liverpool, you're at Oxford, you know what I mean? And that, I wonder if there is a wee bit of that. Um, secondly, you know, he's got Gary Caldwell in there with him. I mean, not the most popular guy, full stop. Yeah, no. You know? <laughs> yeah, there was a point during the game, I don't know if they showed in the telly, that he ran over and pushed Robbie Nielsen as well. Aye, I did see I, that. I don't know what he was doing, but it, was, it wasn't I even mean, over a massive thing, I didn't That's it. the thing, right? See, assistant managers, <coughs> they used to be basically like nutcases <laughs> that were there to protect the manager. Well, so, you know, if there was any, you know, and I, well, I mean, certainly because you are Mialbe, you know, you're not going to mess with a guy like him. Um, Gordon Stratton had Gary Pendry, a big, you know, broad, fucking brummy guy, you know, the rest of it. Because Strachan, Strachan was the sort of person who people wanted to attack, basically, <laughs> like, you know. And Strachan, to me, is the poster boy of what I'm talking about in terms of, if you put him on the tail of the night discussing the Premier League or whatever, he would sound really knowledgeable and all the rest of it. Mm. It does not mean he can be a manager of a football club. No. And so, that's the thing. Um, where do the Hibs go now in terms of a manager? Honestly, I don't know. Like, there doesn't seem to be many like hugely inspiring candidates available. So, mm. I mean, for me, I mean, the, the names... I mean, I listened to a guy last night on the radio um, from a Hibs Talk podcast or something, and... The guy who was interviewing him, or, or actually it might have been Jane Lewis, had said to him, well, Scott Brown's one of the early candidates. And he said, the only reason Scott Brown's mentioned because he used to play for Hibs. Mm. It's none of Davies coaching ability or anything like that, so why on earth are we even talking about this? And I totally agree with that. You know, the last thing Hibs needs is a... You know, I've seen people, see, Hibs fans, saying, oh, we need to get Lennon back, and we need to do this, we need to do that, and all the rest of it. I would worry that... Hibs potentially face an Aberdeen last season scenario mm. where the owner gets his guy in and that's who he's always wanted really and then it becomes a disaster. I, I think the problem we've got as well is like if you've sacked a guy like Moni, the next manager coming in is going to want guarantees that he's not going to be he's mm. not going to get four months or he's going yeah. to get a chance to rebuild it. And are they going to give that bear in mind they'll now be they'll now have Maloney and his backroom staff and Ross on the backroom staff still paying his wage, paying our wages isn't Aye, it? I mean that's, that is a funny one I mean obviously you're getting a lot of people now saying well why on earth did they sack Jack Ross the Maloney thing I say there might be a scenario where it might have been we can get rid of you up at, you know, in the first six months for mm. nothing or whatever I don't know or you can walk away in the first six months or whatever I don't know because you're right if, it is, if there is need that's an expensive scenario given you've just done it in December yeah. as well um, you've got David Gray there, right? Who's obviously taken them early, uh, interim in December. And probably, you know, probably with other statutes, he sort of if he'd won the League Cup final um, as manager, given his previous exploits and uh, as a player. Mm-hmm. They obviously didn't fancy him as manager. No. Um, but see if he comes in the last five games of the season and gets a reaction. He might. He might. Be alright with the fans because well, the fans will from he at least knows the club and how it works. As, as opposed to somebody aye. coming from outside want to change and everything. That, that's an owner's dream, isn't it? Aye. Because uh, it costs them for all and bringing the guys already here and all that. I mean, I've always said that Hibs, very much like Hearts, should be an easy job in Scottish football. You mm. know, you've got the stadium, you've got the training ground, you've got fucking the guaranteed fan base. There's three things that most clubs in Scotland don't have. Really, right? Um, you've also got the fact Edinburgh's a big factor. The amount of players they've heard, they've come to Edinburgh because they want to stay there and clearly they're not staying in the salubrious north part of the city that we're in right now. You know, they stay city centre and all that and it's, you know, if you've got a few quid, that's great, you know, mm-hmm. I missed it. But, you know, um, it really is a mess and we've been seeing it for practically the whole season. You know, the crowds have been shite, the team's been shite and, you know, where do they go for here kind of thing? So it'll be interesting to um, look at that um, of course on to the Sunday um, Celtic 1 Saffold 2 what was your you were watching on the telly I believe yes I, what uh, was your take um, 
I thought Celtic started pretty really poorly, to be honest. Mm-hmm. They didn't think they had the right drive. And considering that Rangers have played 120 minutes on the Thursday, I thought mm-hmm. you should all be sharper team for the outset. It yeah. doesn't always work like that. It's a big yeah. game, you fired up. But I was surprised how long you let them sort of away with that. Mm. And then once, like, there was a few chances and stuff, but the first half was mainly half chances for Celtic's point of view. Um, second half, like, you, really, you scored a really worked well uh, worked goal. Yeah. And I thought once you went up, you were the better team. Yeah. And I thought a second was a Gamari thing. Mm-hmm. And it just never came. And then the equaliser to get sucked away for you a bit. Uh, and again, when it went to extra time, I just I expected you to sort of be the stronger team mm-hmm. going into that. And it was a bit eeky peaky. Um, it was, it was, it probably could have went any, either way in the end. But I was quite surprised at how poorly Celtic started the game, especially. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, talking the tactical side first, the mistake to Pete uh, Maeda through the middle um, he's brilliant at pressing obviously but the flip side of that is because he's pressing their whole defence but our midfield doesn't know where he's going to be when they get the ball mm. whereas a Jackamacus type they know exactly where he's going to be they can feed him so that took away a bit of penetration for us um, the midfield wasn't working they tweaked it a wee bit um, and they had basically Bassey running out and pressing Rogic every time he got the ball. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, surely you drop somebody in behind Bassey every time that happens, so that in the occasions that Rogic wins the 50-50 or whatever, he can just thread it straight to him, but that never happened. Um, there was a lethargy about Celtic, there was, you know, and I didn't make, I don't know, I, I can't understand, I mean, unless I get briefed with the information of what happened between the previous game against St Johnson, and that semi-final for then to then in training and all the rest of it, I can't fathom why they were so poor mm. considering how well they'd been playing and so on. Um, then obviously flip on to the referee and, and Bobby Madden, who's... That was possibly the worst referee performance I've ever seen for an entirety of 120 minutes. He gave a perfect example of how to control a football match. I've banged the drum on this for years and years and years and since it's not about game penalties or red cards or outrageous decisions. It's about things like game fouls that are non-existent at corners. Mm. The ball comes in, he blows up, right? It's acting as though your whole family's been slandered when somebody questions a decision, you know? It's allowing the same players to foul the impunity constantly. Um, and that just went on. I mean, some of the most, you know, baffling things, you know, I've ever seen in football matches, you know, he gives a bounce ball when a Celtic player gets injured and allows Safeco to kick it and play on. You know, he, Celtic had broke on them and he pulled back for a foul that no, nobody even looked at what had been claimed or anything like that. Um, three kicks around the box were just thingy. And of course, Lundstrom, who, who committed 14 fouls, doesn't even get booked. Yeah, he had, he had one one straight one that should have been a booking. He caught the back of the uh, through the back of somebody. No, that was a booking. Right, saying it shouldn't have been persistent fouling. But um, but if you're a player, that's the, these are the most frustrating things. Um, you can't sort of. Um, I think I, I, I get away with these like, referees in games like this as well. They seem to be judging on a different level because it's a it's a derby or thing. They'll you know, try to let the game fall or whatever like that. Game shouldn't have been. And it's the same way, Edinburgh. Games shouldn't be refereed on different levels. The rules no. are the rules. No. No, because they're being you let tackles fly. People get hurt like that or cost goals like that. I mean, it's it's one of the things where somebody had asked me today is it true Scotland's only uh, country in the UEFA that the referees didn't have to declare who they support? And that's, that is true, right? And when I had done um, anyone but Celtic the phone in 2016, I put a petition saying, you know, this is what should happen. They should be able. They should have to declare their allegiance to football team, and if they're a member of any society, mm-hmm. right? And everybody, well, not everybody, but some of the people say to me, "Oh, but um, they'll just lie and say, you know, also about Clyde or whatever, right?" But the point is, that's fine if they lie. But the point is, they would have the mechanism in place to catch that out and be punished for it. You know what I mean? So, but. People as a collective just didn't see these things kind of thing. And unfortunately, I mean, everybody knows 
Bobby Madden is a fanatical um, fan of Sevco, come for East Kilbride, him and his brother Jamie, they're both season ticket holders and so on and so forth and their evidence is emerging, there is support and that kind of thing but ultimately, and I've said this, you know, for practically my first breath, if Celtic are not going to question it, nobody will and it's, a, it's really difficult for us to make any hay with this if Celtic just say nothing and unfortunately that is the policy under Peter Lawwell who still runs the football club despite his lack of presence um, is to basically do nothing and hope for the best now the, the other thing I want to mention about that is that they're not mutually exclusive bad performances and refereeing no. You know, I, I cannot fathom people who say Oh, what about the referee day? And then somebody else say, ah, but we were crap anyway. What difference does that make? Mm. It's got absolutely nothing to do with it. So because we've played crap, we should we, we, our referees allowed to raise bias as they want, or incompetent as they want, or whatever. You know, and that's what I point to do to people, in my opinion. Bobby Wadden wasn't he He was biased. And has been, you know, continuously in Scottish football. And until, you know, things change, then we're never going to see anything different. Yeah. No, I think as well, <clears throat> the standard across the board in Scotland is fucking just we're probably the worst it's ever been in terms of official. Mm-hmm. And there's t- chatty VAR and stuff coming in next season, but like VAR doesn't need to pull back things like as you say, like being missing referees missing blatant fills or mm. or giving a fill that's non existent. You know what I mean? Things like that don't need to get wheeled back. Big decisions will get replayed and, mm-hmm. and checked and whatever, but then have you any have any confidence as a no. Scottish football point of view that Guys that are already bad at a job are going to get better because they get to see it again. Are they bad or not? That's that's it for me. As it's getting busy around here and we're live on air, do you want to move seats over there? Thank you. Because this is how it happens, folks. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't. I used to control this bar, but no, no longer. And, uh, so we're just going to move seats, and rather than doing any editing or that, we'll, we'll have it live just to excite you a wee bit. Um, We're just moving and we're grooving and we're almost there. It's a wee treat for Paul getting a night out, you know. And here we are, this is much better. We're even under a fucking spotlight, which I hate. <laughs> but we're still here, yeah. See, we didn't edit all these nonsense, these fucking halfwits with their big headphones in their podcast studios. This is real stuff for the guys here. So, um,. So we're right, so that was the semi-finals. Um, another thing that came out of the semi-finals, obviously, was the Hamzy hatred that came through the Sevco fans, which you know, unfortunately, you know, and listen, they can sing what they want. I couldn't care less. But when you have people like Kenny McIntyre at Sports it's an incredible atmosphere. Mm. And you're like, they're singing about child abuse and they're singing about can bleed up to their knees and fiend and blood and all the rest of it. The spectacle's terrible. Uh, you, for, the, for the outsider, which it, it's, you, you kind of make it out sometimes and it, is, it sounds mm. loud or whatever, but people who know better and are, are paying attention should really be acting like them. If like, any team that sings it, like, these, these things are fucking points going about child abuse, things like that, mm. it's fucking it's scandalous to be honest. It's not a good spectacle at all. It's not, and you know, I know if the, I doubt there will be if any Safeco fans are listening, they'll be oh, what about the IRA songs? Well, the, the thing about that is that it's the add ons that are the problem with the kind of thing. As much as you might despise, you know, people who fought for Irish freedom and all the rest of it, there's nobody else in the world that people care about these songs apart from, you know, West Central Scotland and, and the occupied six counties. So you need to focus on yourselves, and unfortunately, this rabid fucking racism and sectarianism that comes out is just, you know, gets empowered by their success. Mm. You know, it seems like they are almost like bad winners as much as bad losers, and that's one of the problems. Anyway, so we move on to the leak. The post-lit fixtures are out, and Paul, you're furious. <laughs> I'm not furious. Um, I, I do think that the Sky selection of games are fucking horrific. In what way? And the fact that they've not got a single bottom six game, mm. like it doesn't matter. 
there's, there's relegation yeah. for there's playoffs up for grabs and they've not got anything to tell yeah. first game after the split is St Johnson Dundee I'd want to watch it as a neutral Yeah. I think a lot of people would want to watch it as a neutral it should be on um, I, I've personally for Hearts point of view the fixtures I've not really got too much to complain about we're, we're away a third time with Dundee United but it's if we've got to have a third away game it's pretty much an offensive well were you not absolutely furious about the fact that game was on a Sunday at 3 o'clock well I was confused as to why it's at Sunday at 3 o'clock mm-hmm. but um, I, I don't know why that happened to be honest because it's not on telly there was two games scheduled for three games for scheduled for the Sunday in the first after the split yeah. or top six and two of them were on TV so that made sense but well actually when I kind of looked at the fixtures, one thing I noticed, and this is the first time I can ever remember, the top six fixtures last game of the season is on a Saturday. Aye, that's, it's always been a Sunday, has ah. I? It has, because it's always been the, the featured Aye. games on the telly, so I don't understand why that's um, happened this year either. I mean, obviously, like, yeah, TV perspective, they want to catch when the league's won, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's just, you know, and fair enough and all the rest of it, but I agree, like, some of these um, relegation spectacles and the, and the playoff mm-hmm. scenarios and all can be really exhilarating and, and tension. And, you know, in Scotland, we absolutely love being a part of somebody else's misery, <laughs> you know, where we, we, we didn't have a dog in the fight kind of thing, you know. So, um, aye, that is a bit bizarre. But, um, see, every, I mean, everyone is, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but everyone in Celtic games, Celtic's games is on Sky. Aye, which no, is just you, fucking mental like, you've yeah. just got the one which is the last game at home um, and mm. I think they might be thinking the title will go to the last game uh, game of the season but I don't think it will well it's, that, that brings me that actually brings me on a good segue with that with the fixtures right so we have a situation here where if Celtic win at Ross County on Sunday mm-hmm. they can win the league the following week against Safeco on a Sunday and a bank holiday weekend Aye, which is what we're trying um, to avoid. Can you see any potential problems yeah. here? Well, it's, it's, I found it weird that done that because they seem to always actively try to avoid that. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the, the date, basically, um, almost to the day of the famous Dallas Cowboys game mm. when, you know, all hell broke loose in Glasgow. Now, obviously, the difference there was that the game was a 6 5 kickoff. Aye, sorry, Now, I believe day. what the polls is thinking is that what that does is it concentrates everybody in the same area for the whole day whereas if you get the game away early everybody moves back to their own areas Mm. to and to be fair I mean it's been a long time since I had a drink in Glasgow or went out and got you know in that scenario especially the Gallagate and all that kind of thing Um, and I have witnessed on a million occasions the bother is absolutely most of which will go completely unreported Mm. you know what I mean if somebody turns around the corner and gets a seer face, that's not going to make it onto the fucking STV news no, the following no. night. But it is a very, very, very unique situation. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm really unique situation. I mean, Glasgow, for me, exists in a bubble. Mm. Where it's football and the media and all the rest there. And if you're trying to sell Scottish football, then Sky or another one who live on the edge of that if you have Liverpool against Manchester United it's all this fucking two tribes and all that kind of thing and that if you try and do that in Scotland somebody's going to get fucking suffer for it aye but I suppose as well on the flip side if you try to sell for it you'd want the league decider to be the two big the yeah. two teams going for it you know what I mean yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want Celtic to play the first five games uh, and uh, first four games after the split and mm. uh, could be tied up before you meet I mean interesting thing right <laughs> And I think this is how times have changed, right? And I think this has got a lot to do with just the world we live in, the more distractions we have. There has actually been a recent title decider between Celtic and Safeco, and it was in 2018 where we beat them 5-0 in Celtic Park. You know, everybody seems to have forgotten about that already. Um, my abiding memory was um, two-fold, actually. We went 5-0 up after about half an hour to go, and the whole ground was literally like, what is going on here? <laughs> The Huns were literally going, fucking hell, this could be record. And Celtic fans were like, are we really 5-0 up? You know what I mean? Could you believe it? And then the other one was the team came out after the final whistle for Lapiona and that kind of, and the complete save going was empty. And the players sort of done a double take and were like, fucking hell, you know, there's none of them left kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure 
these things. Like I've always said, right, see Scottish football, the biggest achievement in Scottish football is keeping people interested mm -hmm. in a product that is years behind the elite. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the most watched league on the planet on our doorstep. We have basically colonised the world in terms of people who watch on the telly. You're getting Americans going, oh my God, 150 million people watched the Super Bowl. And then Liverpool, Man United, who played this week, 700 million watched it. Again, um, they go on about the Super Bowl in America. Like, and it's a big occasion, as you know. But like the World Cup has three or four of them a day. I know. No. <laughs> well, for, for the whole tournament, you know. But then that's partly back to selling it, isn't it? Mm. Make it a big occasion. Make it, and we here we did it. We mar didn't market it well enough. Sky as partners didn't market it well enough. No. And it's just it's just kind of they're only interested when they want to be. And that so for me, not showing one bottom six game is really mm. a slap in the face to the league. It's a slap in the face to the teams that are in that battle as well. It's like when <coughs> um, to move the sort of point on about. Uh, Scottish football you only hear for it when they're trying to claim credit for something mm. and that's exactly what's happened this week with VAR Doncaster's appeared out in area oh yes and blah 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 and all the rest of it and uh, you know we were just uh, hoping to make sure that other countries get the gremlins out of the way so that we could adopt it and Aye, all that kind of sure. now I don't know like I kind of get my head around it right now to be quite honest I watch it obviously in other leagues and the confusion etc that it causes I don't know what the hell that's got to do for Scottish football but I didn't see this being a good thing I really didn't I don't uh, I never wanted it I was hoping clubs would fight listen to our fans a bit more mm. I think fans have been completely ignored and they're the ones that I totally agree yeah. but like I've been to a couple of games with it and it almost kills that moment yeah. of like, pure joy when you celebrate because you're, you're looking oh shit is this a yeah. goal or not yeah. And uh, and Scottish football is all about passions. About the only uh, thing it's got left. It's I a know. real, it's a real product. And if you start taking that away, like, people go me like, how shit is it going to be if you're gone absolutely mental, like, a derby winner, and all of a sudden it's like pulled back for somebody being. I mean, one thing that stands out for me is in terms of VR. I think it was last season, the same last season, Man City Tottenham in the Champions League, mm -hmm. and Man City thought they had scored the winning goal. Aye. And the whole stadium's gone nuts. Well, as much as fucking Eddie had kin, they're not exactly the most passionate fans ever. And then they find out it's actually no goal and it's no student Tottenham all through. And I remember thinking at the time, if I, that I was involved, you know, emotionally involved in that as a supporter of that game, I probably would never have went back to football. I know. Like, the, the most you get now is like, you start going nuts and you have a wee glance at the linesman, make sure the flag's mm. not, then you mm. just continue. Aye. That's it. That's all I ever do if there's a big goal. Always check the linesman first to make sure it's no. Because I've been watching myself from that before. Fucking <laughs> listen, a lot of your modern day fans, as I've seen, most of them are bammy bastards, and they're jumping about mad when you've already spotted a linesman flag up and they're sitting doing loop knees if they go, you yeah. even got to celebrate. Yeah. Well, the goal chopped off 10 minutes ago, mate, Ken. Um, I mean, I remember one of the most bizarre <laughs> celebrations I was ever involved in was when we played Celta Vigo in Vigo. And this is the time where we hadn't, so that had been uh, so 2002 Seville so run. And we hadn't been past Christmas in Europe since 1980, mm -hmm. uh, since we played Real Madrid in the quarterfinals. Um, where John Hartson scored a goal, which I thought was right on half time. So we've scored, he scored the goal, and we've all went mental, and we've went face down into this almost moat type thing. And there were 10 guys lying on top of me, and it was like I couldn't move for about 10, you know. And then the final uh, half time whistle goes, and I never only realised about two weeks, three months after it, it was about seven minutes before half time he scored. Mm. Just because I'd never seen any of the play or that kind of thing. Now, if I'd got up after that, in that scenario, and then... Um, more drinks? No, it's okay, we'll get um, is, uh, If I'd then got up in that scenario to find, oh, by the way, the goal's been chopped off. Mm -hmm. It's like... Jesus Christ, I've just had the incredible Hulk on me for the last fucking 10 minutes. <laughs> I've done it in the sacrifice of a goal. Um, so I, so you're right, the passion. Because Scottish football, I think, is reaching a tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. And that tipping point for me is how much mere can they squeeze out your fans before they just say enough? Right, right. It's, but that's the thing, eh? Every year they're asking me and bleeding that wee bit more. And it is, there needs to be 
it's a tough one because like, there needs to be better investment in the game as well externally yeah. people in charge of sell it better get better TV mm-hmm. deals but it's a perpetual argument that never happens yet prices go up and, and fans yeah. are asked to cover the costs or whatever, whatever. and also I mean a lot of fan eh, sorry a lot of clubs updated their stadia in the 90s mm-hmm. a lot of that's 25 year old now yeah. and badly needs renovating but nobody's got to do that no because of the cost is enormous Hearts cost nearly 20 million pounds to do their stadium to do the main stand Aye. and a few bits of and look at this, the, the hassles they had in uh-huh. terms of alright we need it when the season's on we need to open it long before it's fully ready and blah 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 it's just an absolute nightmare scenario but there's never any long term planning no. in that sense you know <clears throat> and as you say as the prices go up the value for money goes down mm-hmm. because we didn't attract the big superstars anywhere you know, some people, particularly modern day fans, always have got genuinely believe if you beat teams three or four no, we can take anybody on. Like, are you kidding me on? Um, so aye, so it'll be interesting to see, but I just see it as, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think it was John Hartson finally saying, we'll need to bring in people from England to oversee this, because the question of allegiance will just come up every single week. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's an actual answer though. Like, I don't know if it's even feasible or, or what. And I, it's not something they'll go for. But I, I don't know. Like I'm just. I just never wanted it full stop. And I, I think it, like they claim it's going to put an end to arguments about bias and referee decisions. It's no. It'll mm. just make it worse in my opinion. All right. Well, let's cheer ourselves up a wee bit then. Um, we're on the cusp of what I'd like to describe as the Scottish Riviera. Yeah. Um, the glorious and, and, and sunny sometimes Muir House uh, now obviously we were brought up in this area and um, sort of taken away from the whole train, as- train spotting aspect which has kind of been covered millions of times including by myself um, what sort of memories do you first remember about growing up in Muir House? I, I remember just feeling like it was even as a bairn, so disconnected from the rest of Edinburgh. Aye. Like, it just never felt like, you used to ever go for a walk to, like, Silvernouse or Davies mm. Mains, which are right close by for everybody to know it. It's not yeah. like you're going, like, miles. Mm-hmm. It felt like you were going to a different world. Yeah. Whereas if you went into, like, you know, Park or Avenue or whatever, like, it was all kind yeah. of run down in older mm-hmm. buildings. Yeah. And it just, I just remember feeling quite isolated. And yeah. It felt like it's in we, in we too. Now, I don't know if that's just part of growing up and you think it's your area or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's how it felt to me. Like, it just felt like it's in me sort of enclave. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was brought up in Pennywell Grove. You were brought up in Pennywell Place, which are adjacent to yeah. basically each other. Now long gone completely. And um, sort of in, in the early part of your life, I would say you'd probably be three and a half, four, mm-hmm. you were moved from Pennywell Place to a new area called Salves and Crescent. Yeah. Crescent, aye. Which were new built houses. And, you know... I feel confident I've seen it. It was the most in need families mm-hmm. that got these houses. Um, you know, for example, um, I know obviously you guys had you know, your three brothers, your mother and father, six people, and it was what, a two bedroom house. Two bedroom house. Aye, which is ridiculous. And that was the second flight. I mean, completely inadequate for parents. You know, second flight up, dangers all over the place. Another family, uh, the 20s family, I remember, stayed in Smickery Court, bigger pardon, Ox Cars Court, and they had mushrooms growing out of their wall. Aye. Well, we, we had, I remember, it was only f- like four, I think, when we moved, and I, I remember vividly, like, it was like one, it wasn't a double glazing or that, yeah. in, in our old house. And like, you got up in the morning and you could see your breath and the condensation on the window. Condensation on the inside, aye. Fucking freezing. Aye. Aye, that's right, because all the rooms had um, so-called air vents. Mm-hmm that just blew in a gale um, and I, I can vividly remember that in fact the only time I mean I know this sounds a wee bit like fucking you know the Hovis advert <laughs> but the only time I can ever remember my house being really hope was when I had a bath <laughs> and even that created the consternation of putting the immersion heater on making sure it was switched off before you went in all that kind of thing because like much like the royal family it was like do you realise that cost them 25 quid or thing you love that <laughs> Um, so I so <clears throat> we were surrounded by um, some almost like an adventure playground. There wasn't an adventure playground, as in where the stables were, 
then there's a golf course, then there's woods and all that kind of thing. And we all spent a lot of time growing up in there. I've documented myself. I spent a lot of time in someone else's golf course, basically finding and stealing golf balls and sending them, selling them back to golfers, mm-hmm. um, which was a great market in the summer. Um, and you obviously, with your Uncle Franz, who just um, passed away recently, God rest him, used to go on a walk kind of through that whole area and into where basically the Glitterati stayed. <laughs> He used to go, he was like a, was like a seven or eight mile walk, it was quite a, quite a trek, he said every Sunday yeah. to like three or four, four hours. Uh, he used to come out through, he used to go out through Muir House and then when you came mm. back it was through Barnton and stuff, which is obviously like one of the richest mm. areas in Edinburgh. Yeah. And you felt, I just felt like a wee imposter walking about with my, my can of juices and my treat for the, mm. for the week. Uh, Walking through these houses, I was like, only, only dreamy, like living. And then you, as, as you gradually come in through someone and yeah. back through Penrill, it's like it's just coming back to back to reality. It's like that, that's that's what you could have had, and then yeah. you're just back yeah. back to here. But I remember talking about the golf course thing. You obviously had the Barton Golf Course, which was all kind of walled up and all Aye. that sort of thing. And it was me and a guy who also stayed in uh, Penrill Place, Richie Mullen, had went looking for golf balls here, thinking, oh, they must be fantastic there. So we're over there and we're at kind of like the wall that faces the sort of gamekeeper's road mm-hmm. scenario. And I was maybe 50 yards away from Richie and he, the guy came scrouting the ball and I didn't hear him at first. And Richie pointed him and we both ran for the wall. And he got up onto the wall and got over and I got up onto the wall and my left leg trailing, he grabbed at the ball. Mm. Fucking hell, Pat. I mean, bear in mind they're about 11, 12 year old. And I thought, I'm fucked here, kind of thing. And basically what he did was, rather than pull me off the wall, which probably would have hurt me, he jumped up onto the wall to get me. And that was his mistake, because Richie then smacked him with a golf club <laughs> back down. And he, that, it wasn't like a massive, didn't, you know, didn't he? But it was shocking, I think. Puts him back and that enabled me to get away, kind of thing. But then it also ties in. That was basically then adjacent to the field where, if you remember... I played a trick on you that almost backfired and... Oh, the, the bull. <laughs> uh, so if you, I'll paint the picture. Um, we went on a walk in the summer and uh, this is probably about 1996 and we were, it was a glorious morning and um, I was, we were walking across a field which was like a shortcut between Cramond and Muse. Yep. And I just thought it would be, Paul would be about 11 year old at the time, and I just thought it would be a really funny thing to pretend that there was a bull chasing us. So I was like, you know, doing the usual nonchalant, and then they're like, oh, for fuck's sake, watch. What is that? It's, it's a fucking bull chasing us. And the look on Paul's face was just sheer, like, you know, roadrunner and the fucking. I still remember, I still remember the terror. And we were absolutely sprinting to the point where you're probably running, you know, very young and full of energy. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> and eventually Paul, in his terror, turned to me and was like, what on earth are you laughing at? And I was like, I'm only joking. And he, he was furious because he was clearly like, oh my God, I'm going to die here. And then realised I was just ripping the piss. So we've stopped for breath and we're kind of laughing. Eventually Paul sees the funny side of it. And then I just happened to glint the left eye, and an actual bull was charging towards us. <laughs> and I was like, Paul, I'm not joking this time. And he was like, aye, right, aye, right, you know. And then it was only when he's turned around himself and he'd seen it, and then the glare, fucking terror, and we had to run, and thankfully we never got caught. Um, and I, I still do to this day, it took me far too long to believe you the second I know. time. I mean, but do I have to jump a fence or something to get away from it? Because there was a. The only time I actually remember serious pain, I don't know if you remember this, we'd walked doing. Um, you know where the 17th hole at Silverhouse Golf Course is? It was adjacent, adjacent, I mean, yeah. adjacent all the time, <laughs> the stables. And they, I don't know if you remember, they put up an electric fence. That's right, yeah. And someday, I can't remember who would tell us, it was only electrified every four seconds. So it was on, and then four seconds would elapse, then it was on, and right? And so the game was touch it without getting electric. And you done it, and never got touched, and then I done it, and I always I got thrown back about ten feet in the fucking air. It probably killed me, man. I know, it was like, I can still remember the feeling of that whole thing going through your body. Like, Jesus Christ. Um one of the other mainstays, very much like Glasgow in the 80s, was the ice cream van. Because um, the shops were either shut or very far away. 
Um, and you had a special relationship with the ice cream man, Roxy. I was just, I just, uh, I was just a kid. I liked him, but it sounds, it sounds far more sinister. Uh, I used to go out like I think he was my mate. This I used guy, to go talk to him. See, this is a to me. He looked like Steve Wright for you know Radio Two uh, and all that, right? What you never understood was he would go, all right, Paul. You're thinking, oh my God, he's my big mate as an adult, and he's thinking he has more money coming. You know, that's that's it. But there was a bit of an ice cream wars doing that way. The Matthews family had an ice cream van. Um, didn't he play the usual chimes? An ice cream did played uh, the Wanderer by Dion because of the movie, and he ended up beating up Roxy one night to get him off the area. And the Matthews family, like what I'll say is, I mean, I know them all, Chris and Stan, and you know, all of them. Um, they were sometimes ridiculed by people ah, they didn't know all that kind of thing but when the Matthews mother died I swear to God I remember it because they lived in the same street as me they stood, mm. they stood where the dentist used to be in Penal Grove this fucking funeral was like a mafia funeral uh, all, the and, all the cars and everybody was in the streets and that and uh, I can still remember Chris Matthews very good mate of mine had, I came back for the shops one day and um, I was greeting because some guy had slapped me or something. I was only like eight year old, Ken, and some 16, 17. Who done it? And I remembered the guy's name. It was Ding. And it was Sunday Bell, and that's why he was called Ding Bell. And Chris was like, let's go. And took me back to the show, pointed out, and just battered fuck it on right in front of the shops. <laughs> By which time my old man had come out the gunner, what's going He's like, sorry, Jimmy, I've sorted all out, Ken. And uh, I used to see him, he drives a taxi and every time you're in there, you always see him shooting that. The last time I saw him face to face was doing at Morrison's at West Granton Road. And we're in the middle of the supermarket, turned the corner. Doesn't he say hi or that? He goes, ah, my last been telling you, uh, your ma told me you're getting all the hassle with these fucking books and all that. I was like, aye, I didn't know Listen, <laughs> you tell them now, if they want a war, we'll give them a fucking war. Like, okay, Tell them as well, like, <laughs> like a correspondence. Call. I know. It was like, I need bother. But, um, do you know what I always found weird in music? So, like, it's obviously got a reputation and it was quite violent, but I don't think you realise it's violent when you're in it. No. Especially no. when you're younger. No. Like, at school, like, guys used to be the chippy mob used to be on Saturday night. Uh-huh. If you walk past the chippy on Saturday night, you're taking your life in your hands because folk were bored and uh-huh. just used to batter strangers. But you didn't, th- you just thought it was like, just avoid the chippy. Uh-huh. Like, it was it's very, It's very strange that because as you get older and you get people get mere access to you, some of these people get in touch with you and you remember them as a kid and you're like, oh my God, he's a nutcase. And then you're like, wait a minute, this guy's like 46 and yeah, yeah. he's got three kids and he's actually brand new. Um, there was, of course, I don't know if you remember Matty that used to um, hang about the glue sniffer. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, he made Don't the Chippy an adventure, to say the least, <laughs> because you were basically. Um, the only way you were getting out of gaining money is if somebody he thought was either had me even their money appeared and he would leave you alone. Um, and I can, you know, and he was actually alright. I mean, I told this story before, but. There was one time me and Hosey went to a party in Muris Avenue and got horse to it. It was a house party, obviously. Mm-hmm. Got horse to it. I can't remember what it was for. And we ended up being pals of the people who ended up in it. But anyway, we went to the chippy and there was two people there. It was Matty and, and Jay Anderson, who's a good mate of mine now. And um, told them what had happened. And we were like, right, we'll go up and fucking, let's go back, eh? So we're marching up there, Ken. It's two o'clock on a Saturday morning or something, Ken. <laughs> And I mean, bear in mind, we're only about 16, 17, Matty's about 30, yeah. you know, Jay's about 16. And I'm thinking, what have we got a day like? Yeah, like <laughs> me, Hosey, you know. And um, we go there, and if you remember, there was a block, 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 we were having big blocks. The kitchen window faced out towards where we were coming from. And we got about five yards away from it, and Matty jumped through the kitchen window. He first <laughs> smashed right through it. So it's like in your mind going, see that question you had about what we've got to do? Well, that's what we've got to do. And they shot themselves, obviously. Who wouldn't you Because Matty was six foot three, four, well built for a glue stuffer and all that, and he actually turned his life around and all the rest of it. He was like an old skint, you know, like an old madness boy. But um, obviously, you see, and even my son Jake reminded me, I was Paul coming down for Salubrious West Edinburgh, the, the <laughs> podcast, I said, do you miss it? I, I know, like, don't get me wrong, like, I, 
Because you, you, you're married to somebody who's wanna be middle class, right? Aye, aye, that's right. Um, it's not it's not the same place anymore. So like, no, it's you know not. What I mean? And it's not. And yes, like, my first house doesn't exist anymore. My first primary school doesn't exist. Mm. My high school doesn't exist. None of it does. I mean, like everything's flat and it's all new builds. Yeah. Um, and the, it's the people I, I used to really like in your house. You go, oh, like, you knew everybody. Even now, there's a guy who stays in the corner from me that. I uh, used to know in your house. Mm-hmm. They'll still always stop and say hi and chat. And it was a community. And even right. where I stay now, it's a nice area. No, sorry, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like that. It's not like community. Right. You're going to talk to the guys in the chippy or the local corner show. Nah. Or, I mean, even coming along here, the golf course, um, which was a playground there, was you know, playing football and practicing golf and all the rest of it, that's being eroded by trees. And all the people, oh, that's great and all the rest of it. But like your memories start getting eroded. And I remember us been along and me, you and your brother Stephen were playing football and there was these annoying laddies at the other end and you were in goals and then they came along like, can we play these? And you weren't really aware of it, aye, aye, aye. And I think you knew one of them and Stephen was like, no, no, uh, this is a family. <laughs> and you were like, pointing at me going, but he's not a member of a family. Like, And Stephen's gone, but he's almost family, right? Shut up. Again. But uh, aye, I mean the golf course is still there, but again, it's it's, it's kind of me. But I suppose a lot of you all have your own memories, uh, places you grew up in, all that, and resonating stuff. But that is our show, and um, we shall be back on Sunday night. Back with attention. Paul's will be in his anus, obviously, and uh, mine's will probably be in my head, especially if they like anyone. But hopefully, we've helped you a wee bit after the, the weekend. Show me your-